You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Good evening. Welcome. Glad you are here tonight. Uh, Go ahead and get out your um, fill-in-the-blank listening guide. And just a heads up, uh, over there at the table we have a spiritual gifts survey, um, which I'll talk some more about later on. But the reason I'm bringing this up now is because I don't want you to fill this out during my teaching time. Okay? This is for you to take home and slowly work through and ruminate over and think about, now is not the time to do the spiritual gift survey. And some of you are thinking, I really want to do it right now. But so, uh, yeah, don't, don't do that. Don't make me take them up and pass them back out, all right? Good to see you. Uh, busy week, lots going on in the life of the church. Uh, if you remember the sermon on Sunday, we uh, called the church to fast and pray this week. So the the... The minimum ask was that everybody take a a day of the week and take a lunch break and don't eat lunch fast and use the time they would normally spend eating lunch to pray. And we gave you a prayer guide and some things to pray about. Uh, I was reminded this past week, not everyone, I said an hour, not everyone has an hour lunch break. So just whatever works out for you, but take that time and pray. And we're praying for three specific things. First of all, we're praying for transformed lives. We are inviting people to Easter Sunday, which is on April 17th. We want to have a full uh, packed house, full room in our sanctuary, and uh, we're inviting, inviting, inviting. So we're praying that as people come and we share the gospel, share the good news, that people will be saved on that day. And so we're praying for transformed lives. We're also praying for transformed church, that God would move in our church and change our lives and send awakening and revival. And we're also praying for a transformed community, that God would work in and through our church to touch other people's lives and to touch this area for the glory of Christ. So that's kind of the prayer um, emphasis that we are focusing on this week as we fast and pray. I know different people are fasting in different ways. I told you Sunday, let this be spirit-directed so that you uh, can just do what God wants you to do and, and abstain from food and or something uh, that you'll miss and spend that time focused upon the Lord. So I've gotten some great feedback from that, uh, some great um, just... Um, uh, there's a there's a buzz around people talk about it and, and people are are taking um, this call to fast and pray um, seriously. So I hope it's been a, a blessing in your life. I'll tell you a quick kind of funny story. Uh, I did something similar to this at my last church in North Mississippi. Uh, I preached on fasting and prayer, and I asked families to spend that entire week fasting from media. So turn the TV off and and you know, read the Bible as a family, pray together as a family, play board games as a family, but turn the TV off and just spend that time together focused on each other. And uh, then I said, come back the next Sunday and I and we're going to have a, an evening time of prayer. 
But I said, come back next Sunday and, and let's just fast from everything. Let's just drink water and we're going to fast together as a church and fasting all day Sunday. We come back together, pray together on Sunday night. So that was my brilliant plan. Well, I didn't take into effect when I said fast from everything and just drink water that people would not drink coffee. And and all I can tell you is that Sunday morning was one of the worst preaching experiences I've ever had. It was like preaching to the walking dead. It really was. It was it was awful. And I made a vow. I made a vow on that day. I will never preach to uncaffeinated Baptist again. It's not going to happen. So please, if you're fasting, but you come on Sunday, fast Sunday. I mean, don't 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 fast from coffee Sunday morning. Drink your drink your coffee. All right, and come ready to hear from the Lord. So uh, anyway. Uh, that was just a funny experience uh, in my life. Don't forget the overall emphasis. Uh, this this Sunday, April 10th, is fill the altar. We are uh, asking you to come back on Sunday night, 6 o'clock, in the, in the big room, sanctuary, and we're going to pray together about our Easter uh, or over our Easter Sunday services. Also, this coming Sunday... Uh, Sunday morning is Lord's Supper, so we're going to gather and worship and focus on the Lord's Supper and remember Christ's sacrifice for us. The next Sunday, April 17th, is Fill the Pew, High Attendance Sunday. It's Easter, which is a High Attendance Sunday anyway, so we're giving you a head start on that, right? We're asking you to invite, 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 and we want to fill up the room because we're going to make a big deal about Jesus, and we believe Jesus changes lives. So we want a, a lot of people there to have their uh, experience uh, to encounter Christ. And then the next Sunday is Fill the Tank. We're going to baptize people that get saved on uh, that Sunday or some other time. And so uh, we're excited about that as well. In fact, I talked to uh, a young lady and her parents uh, today in my office, and uh, she's our first one that's going to be baptized on April 24th. So uh, so it's pretty exciting to see what God's going to do. So uh, fill the altar, fill the pew, fill the tank. Sound good? So be praying about that. Be praying about that emphasis, and let's just see um, what God uh, does. All right, we're going to talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. This is, I think, our third time talking about the doctrine of the Spirit. We're talking on Wednesday nights about the great doctrines of our faith. You can go and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've talked about the doctrine of revelation, how God reveals himself to us. We've talked about the doctrine of uh, God. We talked about the doctrine of Christ, Christology. We're talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because we know the Bible teaches there's one God existing, uh, one God in essence and nature existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we've been talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And tonight, before we move on and go to our next topic, which will be the doctrine of salvation, uh, I, I want to talk to you about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We talked last time we were together about what the Holy Spirit does in your life at the moment of conversion, how He's working in your life during the moment of conversion and after. But tonight, I want to just talk about the gifts of the Spirit. There are a lot of questions here, a lot of information here, but I think we need to touch on this before we move on to the next um, topic because this is such an important part of our of our daily lives, our local churches, our, our ministry efforts. We need to understand uh, the, the gifts of the Spirit. And so basically what I want to do tonight is I want to just answer uh, two questions. Question number one is, what are the gifts of the Spirit? Question number two is, how can I discover my gift? What are the gifts of the Spirit, and how can I discover my 
gift. And remember, don't start the survey until we're done, okay? All right. All right, so when we say the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, remember, Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not an it, not some impersonal, nebulous force or energy. The Holy Spirit is a he, the third person of the Trinity. Just as much God as God the Son, just as much God as God the Father. And the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit giving us uh, spiritual gifts. I want to show you this uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So what I've done is I've given you a definition of spiritual gifts there in your notes, and I've break, it's one long sentence, but I've broken it down into, into different parts to show you the accompanying scriptures. So I was work through this sentence section by section. What are the gifts of the Spirit? A spiritual gift is a special enablement and empowering. A special enablement and empowering. Look in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 there with me. And look what it says in verse 1. I need to get there. I told you to get there. I need to get there. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he's about to teach them what spiritual gifts are all about. And then fast forward down to verse 6, where Paul says, There are, I'm back at the verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all in everyone. To each is given, now watch this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we learn from that, that the Holy Spirit gives these gifts. And verse 6 says, they empower Christians uh, for service, specifically in, ver- in chapter 12, service in the body of Christ or service to the body of Christ or service as God works through the body of Christ. And, and this empowerment is given uh, so that you can live out the enablement, the specific enablement God has given you. We'll talk some more about what those enablements are a little bit later. So a spiritual gift is a special enablement and empowering given by the Holy Spirit. Now look back in verse 4. Varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given, notice that word given, given, not earned, given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. And so he's talking about all the different gifts that the Spirit gives. And so these these gifts, and by the way, the word spiritual gift is the word charismata. It means grace gifts. That's what the word actually means. So these gifts are, uh, by nature, gifts. They are grace gifts. They are not something we earn or or uh, work to acquire, they are gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the deal, uh, because it, it's, it's, it, they're given by the Spirit graciously, that's the next blank, 1 Corinthians 12, 4, charismata. But the next phrase is, to all believers. Spiritual gift is a special enablement and empowering given by the Holy Spirit graciously to all believers. Look what it says in verse 7. To each... To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Look in verse 11. All these are are empowered by one and the same Spirit 
who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So this, this special enablement and empowering from the Holy Spirit is given to all believers. This means, and this is very, very critical, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus, you have been given a spiritual gift. Period. You have a spiritual gift. Now, you may need some, some time to figure out what that is, and we'll talk some more about that later, but you have a spiritual gift, all right? And, and notice there back in the sentence that it's for the expansion of God's work. Look in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It, it, it's to do what God calls us to do. It's for the expansion of God's work. And I would sum up the expansion of God's work in two ways. First of all, the building up of the body of Christ. God wants His church to grow and be mature and strong and unified. And, and so these gifts are given to help the church to be built up, all right, to be strengthened, to be matured. But also, God's work is about the furtherance of the gospel, that we share the good news so that people who do not know Jesus can hear the good news that Jesus died for them, rose from the dead, so they can have eternal life and be forgiven of their sins. So if they place their faith and trust in Him, they will be saved. And so we want to get that good news message out, that gospel message to everyone that we can. And, and, and one of the purposes of the spiritual gifts is that we can uh, get the gospel out. And again, we'll talk some more about that in a few moments. So what are the gifts of the Spirit? A spiritual gift is a special enablement and empowering given by the Holy Spirit graciously, is, is given, not earned, to all believers for the expansion of God's work. All right, that's what a spiritual gift is. Now, Note that there are four lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Let's look at them quickly. Uh, first of all, let's, since we're there in 1 Corinthians 12, let's read that passage quickly, starting there in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, That'd be discernment to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. We'll talk about that in a few moments. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now turn over to Romans, Romans chapter 12. Oh, I had you turn too early, but go ahead and turn to Romans. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians I want you to see. Romans 12, he speaks there that, verse 5, though many are one body in Christ, individually members one of another, having gifts, talking about the church, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, he's naming the gifts, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his ex exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Then back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 28 through 30, actually verse, uh, verse 27 uh, 1 Corinthians 12, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. 
Um, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then look over with me in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. The Bible says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So there are different, different lists of spiritual gifts in the uh, Bible. And that's where when you take this spiritual gift inventory or spiritual gift survey uh, later on your own time, you will see that uh, they are using these different lists of gifts as a foundation for helping you to understand what your spiritual gift is. Uh, is Now, the gifts serve different purposes, and this is important to understand spiritual gifts in the church. Uh, and there are four different categories, and these are not original with me. I've seen uh, various people use these different categories, and, and depending on who the, the author or the scholar is, some of these gifts are in different categories. It just depends on how they put them all together. Uh, but I think this is a helpful way uh, to understand the different purposes behind spiritual gifts. First of all, there are gifts to build up saints. Gifts to build up saints, Christians in the church. And the purpose is to equip God's people. Very simply, to equip God's people. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, when it talks about um, pastor teachers, uh, evangelists, apostles, prophets, the, the, the goal there, it says, is to, to equip the saints, verse 12 of Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so this, this spiritual gift is to equip other people to help them to be built up so they can do the work God has for them. Gifts to build up saints. And again, there, there are some lists, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. You'll see that some of the other ones apply to this as well. But, but again, this is just kind of a helpful way to think through these in your mind. Secondly, there are speaking gifts. Speaking gifts. And the purpose is to explain God's truth. To explain God's truth. So you might see gifts like prophecy, teaching, exhortation, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Those are uh, related to speaking gifts, to explaining, understanding God's truth uh, in the body of Christ. And then there are serving gifts. Serving gifts. Purpose here is to serve the body of Christ. And you'll see under this heading, gifts like serving, helps, leadership, administration, giving, mercy, discerning of spirits, faith, hospitality. These gifts are meant to serve and encourage the body of Christ and through the body of Christ to serve and encourage others that have needs in their life. So gifts to build up saints, speaking gifts, serving gifts. Then the fourth one is the one that gets the most publicity. And these are sign gifts, S-I-G-N, sign gifts. And the purpose is to validate the authenticity of God's message, to validate the authenticity of God's message. So these signs uh, in the New Testament accompany the preaching of the gospel in major moments of redemptive history to get people's attention. That's basically what uh, the sign gifts are for, to validate the authenticity of God's message. 
And under this category, you see things like tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, and healings. Now, there is a, a major divide, divide, discussion, sometimes divide, but discussion in the body of Christ that crosses denominational lines, and the, the discussion is about sign gifts, and the two camps are, uh, on either side of this discussion, are cessationists and non-cessationists. Cessationists believe the sign gifts are no longer active and are opera- operating. Uh, non-cessationists believe they are still operating in the church today, just like they operated in the New Testament. And so cessationists, non-cessationists. Again, in Baptist circles, you have cessationists and non-cessationists. In uh, Methodist circles, you have cessationists, non-cessationists. I mean, different denominations have these groups that discuss this and are, uh, you know, come down on either side of this issue. And so obviously you want to know if I'm a cessationist or non-cessationist. Let me say it like this. It depends on what day of the week you ask me. And, 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 and let me tell you why I say that. And, and, here, and here's what I think is missing in the debate on cessationism versus non-cessationism. If you look at the book of Acts and you see the signs happening, the healings, the tongues, the miracles that accompany the preaching of the gospels in the book of Acts, you're looking at a major moment in redemptive history. So in, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And every time you see the gospel make a leap from one area to the next, going from Jerusalem to Judea, you see signs and wonders. When you see it go from Judea to Samaria, signs and wonders. When it starts going to the ends of the earth, going into Asia Minor, other, you see signs and wonders accompanying the preaching of the gospel because the gospel is going into a brand new area. It's a, it's a major moment in redemptive history, and these signs and wonders accompany the, the, the preaching of the gospel. So I don't think on the cessation side of things, because I'm very political when I get done with this answer, but on the cessation side of things, I don't think that the sign gifts are normative in the church, that these are things that we ought to just see happening all the time or should expect to happen or, or seek to happen in the life of the church. I don't think they're meant to be normative. Um, and one of the reasons you know that is because the church in Corinth was a mess and they were all about the sign gifts. And Paul is writing a part to say, don't make it all about the sign gifts. Now, you can read Corinthians on your own time. He's saying, don't make it about the sign gifts. In the other churches he writes to, there's not the same emphasis on the sign gifts. He never says anything like, hey, seek these miraculous sign gifts. There's just not the emphasis there. So it does not seem that these, these, these miraculous sign gifts are a normative part of, of the life of the church in 2022. But, but, all right, if the gospel is stepping into a brand new area, an area that has not heard the name of Jesus, a major moment in redemptive history, would it surprise me if God accompanies the preaching of the gospel with these miraculous signs and wonders? It would not. So let me give you an example. I've spent a lot of time in India. Uh, I've been to India, I think, four times. And I've been in North India. I've been in South India. Done a lot of training with Christians over there and, and spoken to a lot of churches over there. And uh, and, and I love, and I, I can't wait to get back to India sometime in the near future. Um, but when you go into a, a, a church in India, 
and you speak, you're the visiting, you know, American pastor. And and what what usually happens after you speak is a long line forms and people want to come up and meet you and they want you to pray for them and their family. And so, I mean, you, you'll get done and you'll be there for a long time, you know, talking to each person and, and their family and praying over them. And and as this line uh, formed with me and some others that were with me, they, they would tell us their stories through a translator, okay? And without fail, now I don't have a, I was, I was raised in Perry, Florida, Burton Baptist Church. I didn't have a category for this, okay, until I got to India. But without fail, every person who was a Christian that came from a Hindu background, okay, Hindu, Hindu background believers came to Christ after either having personally experienced miraculous healing in the name of Jesus or having a family member or close uh, relationship healed miraculously in the name of Jesus. Someone came and prayed in the name of Jesus and they saw miraculous healing and that, was, that got their attention to focus on Jesus. Then they heard the gospel and gave their lives to Jesus and was saved. The healing accompanied the preaching of the gospel. Now, is that normative in Fort Walton Beach? I, I don't, the, the miraculous, does God heal today? Yes, God heals it. We pray for people's healing. But do we see the, the level of miraculous healings like we saw in the book of Acts in Fort Walton Beach? Um, no. But when the gospel goes to a new area, like a city that is, that is under the darkness of Hinduism, and there are tens of thousands of people that have never even heard the name of Jesus, could God accompany the preaching of the gospel with miraculous healings and other signs to get their attention, to, to, to lend their ear to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe, right? So if you argue from that side, then maybe, you know, I might say maybe not a non-cessationist, but I would say, again, not normative, but accompanying major moments in redemptive history. So let's talk about tongues for a minute, okay? This gets the most attention. Um, the, the, first, the first thing I'll say about tongues is this. You'll hear different preachers and teachers, and they're usually on TV. Watch out when you watch a preacher on TV. There are some good ones, but man, not many. And, 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 and you'll hear this in certain denominations, but they teach that speaking in tongues is an ecstatic prayer utterance. It's a, it's a heavenly prayer language. And, 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 and people teach that, that the speaking of tongues is evidence of being baptized in the Spirit. Now, I showed you this a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, that in 1 Corinthians 12, every Christian is baptized in the Spirit. That's when the Spirit of God comes on us and places us in the body of Christ. So we've all been baptized in the Spirit. And Paul clearly says, not all speak in tongues, do they? So Paul says, all have been baptized, but not all speak in tongues. So if someone says that, that tongues is evidence of being baptized in the Spirit, that is, that's heretical. That's not correct. And, and, and that teaching puts a weight on people. Like they hear that and they think, well, I must not... I, you know, I need more. I need more of the Spirit because I'm not talking in tongues, and I must not have got all the Spirit when I got saved. Yes, you did. The Spirit of God indwells you. Lives. You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. All right, He lives in you. He indwells you, and so that teaching is is erroneous. Um, but taking that away, there are others that that teach that that the gift of tongues is a, an operating gift in today's time. They would be non-cessationists. And under, under that heading, there are two groups, okay, non-cessationists. The first group is those that say tongues is a heavenly prayer language. So if I heard Nancy speaking in tongues, I have no idea what she was saying. It's a, it's a language that's not known to man, 
All right? She'd be speaking in a heavenly, ecstatic prayer utter. She's not in, even in control of it. Her, her, it, it's, it is, uh, this language that God gives her to, to speak and communicate um, with God in a, in a um, what they would say, a more spiritual manner. Others believe that tongues is an is a empowerment to speak the gospel in someone's language, heart language, so that they can understand the gospel, which is what I believe. So go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit falls on the day of, on the day of Pentecost. Remember that? Peter gets up, gets up and preaches, and there are people there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And even though Peter's up there preaching in Hebrew, people from all their backgrounds understand what he's saying. Okay? They're getting it. I believe that was the miraculous gift of tongues. So, cessatious, not cessatious. Let's just say Jeff and I go to Africa. Okay? Been to Africa before. It's been a while. I want to go back there as well. But say Jeff and I are in Africa, and, and, uh, and we, take a, we take a land cruiser down some, uh, you know, rural road deep into the bush, and uh, we come up, up upon a village, and I mention the name of Jesus. No one's ever heard of Jesus. Never. That, we don't know who Jesus is. Let's just say, well, Jeff stands up and says, I want to tell you, I'll, I'll tell you who Jesus is. He didn't know their language. We don't even know their, what language they speak, all right? We're not even able to communicate. And Jeff stands up and starts talking about Jesus, and those people understand? Man, is it going to be requirement to put this on the internet? It wouldn't surprise me. Okay, it wouldn't surprise me. Could God accompany the preaching of the gospel in a major moment of redemptive history? The gospel going to an unreached people group, a tribe that's never heard the name of Jesus? Could he accompany that with, with giving Jeff the supernatural gift of tongues so that he's able to communicate the gospel when they hear it in their language and understand it, respond, and get saved? Wouldn't shock me, right? Wouldn't shock me. I'm just telling you, there are things that go on overseas, okay, that, that really would blow our minds. And, and a lot of that is because it's the front lines of the gospel, and not only is the gospel going into unreached areas, Satan is opposing it with all of his force and might. And you're talking about uh, spiritual warfare and demonics. I mean, it's crazy, right? But it's real. And so am I cessationist or not cessationist? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 With some qualifications. With some qualifications. And again, I believe in that whole conversation, the part we miss leave out is, hey, let's talk about these sign gifts happening at major moments in redemptive history. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. You may disagree with me. You may agree with me. Whatever. That's okay. Um, we don't have time to fight about it tonight. So let's, let's go to the next question. And by the way, there are all kinds of resources and books and scholars and, that, have, that have written a lot of stuff about this, a lot of sermons about this. So you can, you can do your own research. Um, but the second question is, is, how can I discover my gift? Okay, there's these lists of gifts. We know what the gifts are for. How do I know what my specific spiritual gift is? This is anecdotal. I haven't done a survey on this, the anecdotal. But I would probably, just having passed as long as I have, I would guess that 75% of Christians don't know their spiritual gift or aren't able to articulate what their spiritual gift is. They may know maybe how they're wired, but they're not able to articulate what their spiritual gift um, is. So how, how do we get there? And this is not a, a magic formula, all right? But this is, I think, are some steps to move you towards understanding your spiritual gift. 
Number one, know what the gifts are. So studies like this, read your Bible, read accompanying literature from trusted orthodox biblical scholars. Know what the gifts are. Secondly, pray. It's a crazy thought. Uh, James 1.5 says, that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And so if you find yourself wanting wisdom in this area in your life and want to understand what spiritual gifts are all about, then, uh, then pray about it. Ask God to, ask God to show you. Uh, I don't think God's trying to hide this from you, right? God gave it to you because he wants you to use it. So I believe that's a prayer that God will respond to. And then third, and this is so important, and I just can't emphasize this enough, just start serving. Just do something, right? Even if you don't have it worked out yet what your spiritual gift is or uh, you know how you've been uh, gifted by the Spirit, just start serving. That's very, very important. Rick Warren, who wrote Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven Life, he said this, start experimenting with different ministries and then you'll discover your gifts. So it's been my um, observation that most people don't discover their gift and then start serving. They start serving and then discover their gift, which go figure. God reveals it to people that want to use it, right? That are actually serving. So just start doing something. Just do something in the body of Christ, and there's plenty to do. And as you serve in different ministries, different areas, I believe that God will will guide you gently, uh, gradually, Sometimes maybe a little bit more dramatically, but he'll guide you to where he wants you. All right? So start serving. I don't believe you'll really have a good grasp of your spiritual giftedness if you uh, don't start serving in the body of Christ. And then when you start serving, evaluate your experience in serving. Evaluate your experience. So ask these questions. As I serve God, what makes my heart beat fast? What, what gets me excited? It's hard to imagine that God would gift you in a particular area and not give you a passion for that area of giftedness, right? Uh, it, it seems like th- those go together. What makes my heart beat fast? What gets me excited? What I lay in bed thinking about at night? What what? What I want to, you know, how do I want to engage in the body of Christ, and and what gets me just really, really excited, and my creative juices flowing, and and uh, and, and 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 I'm energetic and and ready. What makes my heart beat fast? Second, what seems forced and what flows? What seems forced and what flows? I've seen people. Uh, who think they are gifted in a certain area, and to be as charitable as I can, they're just not. They're just not, and uh, and and they're and, and it's as if in that area of ministry they are f- trying to force it, right? Because that's what they wanted. They they they, they want to be gifted like that, but they're not. And I, there's all kinds of gifts I've seen that take transpire in. So what seems forced and what flows? All right. Now notice what I'm not. I'm not saying what seems easy. Let's 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 be careful here because serving the body of Christ your spiritual gift is not going to be easy. Okay? It's going to be work. Okay? You you're going to need God's help, God's wisdom, God's strength. So, I'm not saying go to the easy thing. I'm just saying what seems to be um, what seems to flow when you're doing it versus I'm trying to force this, you know, trying to force this gifting on a certain situation. And and then the third question is what does God seem to bless? 
what does God seem to bless? I just, I just think it makes good sense after reading 1 Corinthians 12 and other passages um, that when you are serving in the body of Christ, employing your area of giftedness, uh, living out your spiritual gift or trying to live out your spiritual gift, that God will bless that, that there'll be his favor will be upon that. And you'll see, you'll see uh, things happen uh, as a result of God's blessing. So evaluate your experience in serving. Think about where you are um, serving. And again, you, you need something to compare your experience to. So I would say serve in different areas in the church. Do different things before you make a, a sure determination. And then the last one is clarify. Clarify. That means get input from others. Okay? Maybe if you feel like you have an area of spiritual giftedness, ask somebody. You know, take them aside and say, hey, uh, here's my understanding of what the gift of mercy is. And, I, you know, I've thought about my spiritual gift, and, and I think I may have the gift of mercy. What do you think? And get their feedback, okay? They may say, uh, I don't know. I don't know. If I look up mercy in the dictionary, I don't see your picture there, all right? So get somebody that's honest and loves you, okay? Use spiritual gift inventory. Notice how far down the list this is, okay? Uh, I, do not, I do not want you to think that you just take an inventory and all of a sudden you know your spiritual gifts. Like, let's, let's go for it, right? Uh, I, I think spiritual gift inventories are helpful because they can help clarify, but I don't believe they're a be-all, end-all in and of themselves. I believe spiritual gift inventories need to be used in concert with these other areas. Pray, serve, evaluate, clarify. And so a spiritual gift inventory can help you to clarify and can help you kind of hone in on specific things. So if you look there at your spiritual gift inventory, take it out for a second now. This is just a, a basic one from Lifeway. And again, different spiritual gift inventories have different lists and different emphases, all right? Um, but uh, this spiritual gift survey is helpful. So you just, you, you, uh, you go through and you give a, a five, four, three, two, one. Uh, five is highly characteristic. One is not at all characteristic of me. And you answer this honestly. Listen, don't lie on the spiritual gift inventory. Okay, not gonna do you any good. God knows, right? Don't, because again, we're not trying to, we're not trying to, give ourselves a spiritual gift. We're trying to figure out what God has given us, okay? So, don't, you know, don't, don't say what you think the inventory wants to hear so you get a certain spiritual gift. Be honest. And uh, you go through those questions. And again, then I want you to just, only, it'll probably take you 30 uh, minutes or so. Uh, then you score it. It gives you some, some uh, specific ways, directions to score it. And based upon different answers to different questions, they kind of group the, the, the questions under different um, uh, headings. Uh, uh, based upon your answers to those questions, you'll start to kind of get a feel for where your giftedness lies. And then you can even graph it, okay? You can graph uh, your profile and, 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 uh, and see it visually. And, uh, and after you've done all that, after you complete the survey, if you look there on the last page, the gifts I've begun to discover in my life are, and, and kind of go to top three, okay? Top three. Um, and then think about how you want to use that in the body of Christ. There's a question for that. So this is a very helpful exercise. I, I, again, cup of coffee, um, 45 minutes to an hour, a pen, a pencil, and, uh, and just go through this. And, uh, and let me know how it goes.
go through this and when you see me again, say, here's, here's what I did and here's what I discovered. Now, you will notice uh, on page, uh, I'm not sure what page it is, next to last page, the uh, scoring your survey. This is a non-cessationist <laughs> spiritual gift inventory, all right? So uh, just notice that. Uh, I wanted you to point that out. because, And I think that's probably good because, again, the, the sign gifts, I believe, are not normative or to be pursued by the church. We just trust God to do that when he wants to do that when the gospel goes into um, new territory. That's my belief anyway. So, um, so just... Uh, just keep that in mind. So do the spiritual gift inventory. It can be very, very helpful. And then, yeah, well, let me do the last one. I want to take questions. Ask God for confirmation. So you've gotten input from others. You've taken the inventory. Now ask God just for confirmation. God, is this uh, where you want me to serve? I want a couple of things to say about that, but let's take a question. Sometimes singular and sometimes you use it plural. You believe we have more than one church? Great question. Different beliefs. There are two. There are two. Um, there are two issues. One is, do we have more than one spiritual gift, or do people only have one? Um, the question is, depends on how God is as the Spirit wills. First Corinthians twelve. So could it be He gives me one and gives you three? I think we would both agree that's probably the case, right? Uh, and so, uh, I mean, it, it's up to the Spirit. And, and I would say that we probably all have areas and other gifts that we that we tend to. And, and maybe our spiritual gift makes us stronger in other gifts as well, if that makes sense. So you could have just one, which would be enough. It's a grace gift. You could have more than one that, that comes out through this, uh, this research. Another question is, um, can your, does your gift come and go? Or, or can your gift change? So for example, uh, could you have one particular gift and God use you in a mighty way in your 30s? And then in your 70s, it seems like maybe the Spirit has given you a different emphasis of ministry, different spiritual gift. Uh, again, the Bible doesn't say. I, I don't think we're coloring outside biblical lines to say that could be the case, that He could give you another spiritual gift at some other time in your life. Uh, you know, the Bible just doesn't say. We know we have at least one. We know we, we know we all have one. Could that change over time? Potentially. I don't know. Good question. What's that? Sure. Yeah. He may, yeah, he may. And it may, and it may be a, a spiritual gift for a particular moment in ministry or life or, you know, um, special empowerment. So yeah. Uh, those are all questions we need to we need to to, to wrestle through. But here's a couple of uh, I guess caveats is the right word. Um, first of all, the goal of spiritual gift survey is not to say, well, I'm strong here, so I'm not doing anything over here. Okay, uh, so serve. There's there 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 are many places serving this church that that you, that you can serve in with all different types of spiritual gifts. Okay, uh, and 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 so don't let the well I'm gifted here, so we're gonna let we're gonna let the three year olds watch over the one year olds in nursery this week because we don't have any volunteers, right? Uh, that don't let it. I'm not gifted for that. No, we're all we need to you know need to do our thing. Um, another another caveat is um, 
don't think a lack of specialization in a spiritual gift exempts you from obedience to a command. So, for example, evangelism. Okay, there are people that have the gift of evangelism. I've been around those type of people that they just know how to. They just they they naturally connect with others, build bridges. They draw the net well. There's a boldness there, but a winsomeness there. And I've just seen people that just they just they just know how to win people to Jesus. It's just it just exudes from them. Um, and and you say, well, I may not have the gift of evangelism. That does not mean that you're exempt from the command to be a witness, right? There are some that have a spiritual gift in that area, but we're all called to be witnesses. Some are going to be, you know, more of an emphasis in their life because that's their spiritual gift, but don't say, well, I'm done with evangelism because I don't have the gift of evangelism. Does that make sense? And we could apply that to several different areas. So there's just some caveats to think through. It's a very interesting study, very interesting thing. Um, One other thing I would say is what got the church in Corinth into trouble was they began to contrast and compare gifts. And they began to assign levels of importance to different gifts. And they began, and their church was full of division, full of division. So this is not meant to say, I have this one and you don't, or, you know, or you have this gift, you're more important in the body of Christ than I am. Uh, everybody has a spiritual gift and everybody's called to employ it in the body of Christ. And every spiritual gift is just important. Just because he, he used the, the illustration of a body in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, can the hand save the foot? I don't have any need of you. Right? I mean, if you can pick up a bunch of stuff, but you can't walk over to pick it up, you're in trouble, right? You need the hand and the feet. And uh, no matter what your role is in the body of Christ, it may be public, it may be behind the scenes, it may be different gifts, but whatever it is, it's important that you use it and live it out for the glory of God. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.